Hey everyone, we're super excited to be here today. Of course, we're living in an alternate universe, it seems like, with the whole COVID-19. Um, never anticipated on uh, living through a uh, global worldwide pandemic uh, in my career or ever in my life. Um, but uh, we're here to um, support everyone out there in the community. We're here to help people breathe better again. And of course, this is the Dr. Mike show. And as part of that show, we're, we like to bring in uh, very important and special people in our lives or who have made impact in patients' lives or who are just awesome people to begin with. And we're very lucky and um, very happy to have with us today uh, Dr. Susan Rochelle, um, allergist, immunologist in the Chattanooga community. Uh, and it's important that we're all come together today and, and have the show because, as you know, our formats in this show is to talk a little bit about a person's background, uh, their impact uh, they've had on patients' lives, what uh, uh, brought them or led them to medicine and, and the impact they're having. But also more importantly is uh, we've also been not just impacted by the COVID-19 and the coronavirus pandemic and how it's impacted everyone in the community, but also how uh, the recent tornadoes in our area, particularly in the East Brainerd community, and the tragedy that has unfolded with that has impacted uh, our guest tonight as well. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that and how um, the recovery, um, uh, um, uh, the faith uh, around that and what that means to rebuild and how we're going to uh, go forward. So. We're very excited to have today uh, Dr. Rochelle Susan, and we're going to talk a little bit about all those things. Uh, welcome. Thank you. It's just a delight to be here. Thank you, Dr. Mike. I'm super excited. Of course, uh, we're practicing always good, safe social distancing. Uh, today's a special event. Uh, we are, are maintaining as best we can six feet, but it's important for us to gather as physicians uh, to talk about these things. And then um, always to the community out there, make sure we wash our hands. And if you do go out in public, uh, anything larger than groups of five, make sure you wear your uh, surgical mask definitely in public and, and don't gather. Uh, if you do gather, try to maintain that social distancing. So, well, it was interesting because you said there was about my origin that there were some interesting things there. And there was a couple things that I neglected to tell you. And yeah. one of those is that my mama was afflicted with diabetes. So she nearly lost her sight completely, but she was legally blind and couldn't see very well at all. How, how long did and that happen? When, how old were you when that happened? I was an adult. Okay. Yes, I was an adult. So fortunately, she was sighted yeah. when I was growing up. And then my daddy developed spinal meningitis and became deaf. So because of those things, it taught me to have more compassion for people. Right. So that was a great thing. And then the other thing is that God gifted me with the ability to be able to listen to what a person has to say, tease it out, right. and then just help them walk through whatever it is that they're going through. So it was a natural transition for me to go into social work. So that's exactly, I got a degree in social welfare yeah. so I could do counseling. And I could do a social work if I chose to. So I worked with brain injured people, yeah. and I also worked with um, psychiatric social workers. And so, that was very, oh my gosh, very fascinating I to do that kind of work. I remember the first time I met you, and I said to myself, this is a special, unique person, because you have a certain, and I didn't know you very well. I was marketing uh, more than anything else to try to um, build up our business. And, and I walked away saying, there's something unique about this individual. There's an aura of energy about you. Um, and I remember some of your background uh, as we've talked more, and we'll talk a little bit about the, your adventures in Alaska um, and, and that, that story. And I, and I said, boy, you're always upbeat. You always smile. You always have um, a spirit about you that you just kind of want to talk to you, you know? And then... Um, even more so when I saw you the other day, and we'll talk more about how you've been personally and your practice has been dramatically impacted by the tornado. You you are like this was a blessing for you, and you're you've taken something which many people would think is a dark period, and light has shone on you, and it's invigorating you, 
And it seems you, the energy that I knew 10 years ago is even more intense in you now. And so it's just kind of, um, it motivates everybody, um, to do, to watch you and, and your patients clearly. I mean, that's uh, something that I wish I could have in me that, um, uh, energy, that spirit or, or, that, or that connection, uh, with people sometimes, you know, my wife, who's also a psychologist, exactly. um, I was going to mention uh, that has that and can appreciate it. And so I always tell people, I try to be uh, a better today than I was yesterday. Great um, motto. And I think, uh, people associating with people like you helps us all do that. Um, going to that origin. So how did you go? You, so you're a social worker, you know, obviously you're a physician now. What did you do in Alaska? Well, a couple of things. And so one of the things that that I did, yeah. So one of the things that I really wanted to do was work for a native corporation. So I applied to positions and I really wanted to go to Alaska because I had been there before and loved it. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And so I applied to a native corporation and got the job. And it was incredibly fascinating. But at the same time, I was definitely interested in medicine. So I took an EMT course. Uh And one of the things that happened was there was an, uh, one of the villages, because we served 17 different villages, and most of them you couldn't get to um, by, you could get there by dog sled, flew, is one of the ways. You on planes to get Yeah, to so places? you had to fly on uh, two you're, places you're you could actually, do, yes, so two places you could actually drive to, and the rest of the villages you either had to fly into, or take a barge to get to, or dog sled. In fact, I was in Nome, Alaska at that time, and that's where the famous Iditarod dog right. sled race ends, so it terminated there, which was also a fascinating thing to be part of that. But be that as it may, there was an accident. One of the parents of a child was in one of the outlying villages, and she had, and all the villages are supposed to be dry, and clearly they're not. And she was drinking too much and got into an accident, and she had her two-year-old on the handlebars, and she drove into a ditch. So then the plane had to pick up the child and then bring them to Nome, Alaska, to stabilize this child before the child was transported to Anchorage. So um, I was just completely beside myself because here's this little child who had no say-so in the matter and got this terrible injury. So the child was unconscious when we got to the child. Oh, my gosh. So then we stabilized the child, and then the child was taken to Anchorage in a helicopter. The mama was fine. How old were you during all this? Um, I was 20, in my 20s, in my 20s. Up there by yourself? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I reported, and this occurred in the middle of the night. So that morning, I reported this to the Department of Children and Family Services because that was a terrible thing to have happen. Nothing was done. The ER doc, that evening when she got off her shift, which was 24 hours later, she reported it, and immediately someone jumped on it and took matters into their hands and took care of the situation. Mike, I was incredibly frustrated because a physician had more pull, if you will, had more of an influence than I did. So I was really frustrated with that and thought, well, if I'm going to have make a bigger impact, I need to do it with more credentials. Right. So it, it made it solid for me that I need to go to medical school. And I had liked the idea of medical school previous to that, but that was my walk that would confirm it. This is what I need to do. And so then I applied to medical school, and as they say, the rest is history. And then um, you went to medical school in New York. Where, where were? In the University of New England. New it's a it's an England. osteopathic right. yep. medical school, and I opted for osteopathy because it doesn't just talk about medications and treating the disease, but it tries to treat the whole person. Right. And so it tends to have a little more of an alternative flair, especially in that it gets to know the person. Yeah. And osteopaths usually take care of whole families and and the entire family, and I really like that the idea as well. Approach as well. A holistic approach. A holistic approach. That's. Right. What, um, so obviously, you know, we go through medical, we, we go through our training, we do the medical school, we do residency. At some point you, you take a course, uh, just like I, uh, I remember saying to myself, I'm going to be an emergency room medicine doctor. That's what I wow. wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I, I was dead set. I did the same thing. I, I, uh, went and became an EMT 
fell in love with oh. medicine out of uh, the Air Force and, and started to ride on the back of, uh, actually it was a firefighter first, because I remember riding on the back, we called the BRT, the big red truck. <laughs> Lights and sirens, I loved I it. it. I was single, I had a dog, oh, and awesome. I, I volunteered at the firehouse. I mean, I was living the life at 21. Yes. <clears throat> and then um, I remember saying, oh, who are these guys over here in this white box? Uh, and they're doing cool stuff over there That's and right. saving lives and doing CPR. Mm -hmm. And then I remember talking to the ER doctors and I said, these guys are heroes, right? Wow. Yes. And so I said, I want to, I'm going to go into medicine and become an ER doctor. And then ultimately I had a mentor and realized that I, I love pulmonary and critical care medicine and the ICUs and the, and the, the lungs, yes. uh, became really special to me. And, and mm -hmm. I made that course correction to go in that direction when did you yeah so when actually we need off? to back up a little bit because i applied for the internship that i did when i was going through my program with social work was um, at the counseling center and it was a very coveted position mm -hmm. and i really didn't want to work there because i really wanted to work in a mental health hospital Right. I didn't really want to work in a clinical center. But one of my instructors recognized some of my abilities and said, I really want you to apply there. So I remember applying there. She said, go over there right now. I'm wearing blue jeans that had holes in them before it was cool to have holes in yeah. your blue jeans. And went over there and actually ended up with that position. Not ended up, I was thrilled to have the position. So what we would do, we would serve the families of the campus, the professors and others, yeah. and we would also serve the community. And if there was people or patients, in that case clients, that I had difficulty with, then I would send them to a psychiatrist. So they would come back to me even more frustrated because they felt like the psychiatrist just wanted to put, give them medicine right. and not really talk to them and deal with what was going on with them in their lives. So reflecting on that and then the influence that the ER doc had, I wanted to do psychiatry. Yeah. I'm going to change that field yeah, from the inside right. out, right? So you're like, okay, yeah. psychiatry, just like, oh, it's going to go one way. You're going to yes, go, this is yes, how you're going to do you're it. you're going to do ER medicine. I was going to go psychiatry. And then when I got into medicine, and it was my fourth year, I was a medical student at a small hospital, and a fellow came in who was a pulmonologist, as a matter of fact, and he said, asthma is completely different today. The way we treat asthma today is completely different than the way we used to treat it. We treated it like the ABCs, aminophilin, which some of you may remember as mm -hmm. theophylline, beta agonists, which are medicines like albuterol, and then corticosteroids. And they said, it's completely flipped. We've learned that asthma is a disease of inflammation. Mm -hmm. So inflamed lungs do best not with theophylline, although there's data that shows it does have some anti-inflammatory effects, and not with beta agonists, but with corticosteroids. Right. So I just became completely turned on to that. And then I opted to do some studies at Rush Presbyterian St. Okay. Luke's Medical Center in Chicago, and I was torn between doing pulmonary medicine uh, and allergy and I, I immunology. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, uh, they share very similar pathways. No I remember question. working in my fellowship one of our clinics, we shared the clinic with the asthma immunologists and the pulmonologists. Yes. And there was always this, not tension, but there was always this, like, oh, no, you got to uh, uh, treat their uh, allergy and the immunology part. I was like, no, no, we got to treat, you know, their smoking cessation in there or whatever it was. Yes. And this little tug, tug. And it was fun because, obviously, for the most part, the first year of our fellowship, particularly, we didn't know anything. And we're learning and we're trying to experiment. And the professors were great because they would just let us kind of do our thing and figure it out. Um, yes. And so, yeah, very similar. That's yes, funny. So you're going to be a pulmonologist. Yes. Okay. And so you're right, though. Both of those things are right. You have to address allergy. You have to address smoking cessation. Right. So all those things are right. Exactly what you said. So when I went there... I did a rotation in the allergy immunology department right. and, of course, did a rotation in pulmonary. And I, I kind of had an idea what to expect in pulmonary medicine, but I had no idea that I'd fall in love with immunology. Yeah. And I thought, this is so exciting to me. And that was, oh, my gosh, I hate to admit how long ago that was because I've been in practice for 21 years, so that was about 30 years ago. And I just fell in love with immunology well, and I thought that is the way to go. You're fantastic at immunology because I remember uh, not too long ago, about a year ago, we were talking about some biologics and you have a beautiful slide that you show about the immunology of right. biologics and, right. and the pathways. And it's actually very fascinating. 
I'm a very pictorial individual. Um, I learn by pictures and, yes. and particularly colored yes. pictures. And, and so when you did that presentation and I, I just remember saying, oh, that's a slide I'd like to have in my armament, my toolbox, because yes. everything. And we're going to talk about that, particularly with COVID, about how, how the, there's the immunology pathways of how it enters the cell and all the components of that and how we're possibly testing for it and surveillance for it. Right. <clears throat> so that was part of it, um, the immunology, but that clinched it for me. I yeah. thought this is the area that I need to go in because the professor who spoke about asthma was asthma. And so I knew asthma immunology, um, and those two are closely related, of course. Right. So many things have their foundation immunology, which is why I opted to go in that direction. And so I fell in love with that field and opted not to do pulmonary medicine. And at that time, and Mike, you may remember this fellow, Roger Bone, and mm -hmm. he was at the NIH, NIH, and he was a professor. He was our attending at Rush Presbyterian St. Louis uh, Medical right. Center. And I was totally impressed with him. And that was part of the reason why I opted to go to Rush. It was also in Chicago, because, and I was moving back home. At that time, my daddy was dying of cancer. So it was perfect timing what all the way around. cancer was your stomach. stomach? He had gastric mm -hmm. carcinoma with metastasis at diagnosis. So he survived for six months, so that was a blessing. Mm. And the other thing that was a blessing is that the school that I attended allowed me to do all my rotations in the Chicago area. That was not, so yeah, you could so stay was, in the So the I was home. able to stay at home. How yes. old was your father when he passed away? 65. 65. So yeah. my, uh, my dad's very similar story. Passed away at uh, 52. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I sorry. just got uh, graduated from like, Air Force Academy leukemia, um, uh, AML. The um, But it was funny because the – well, it's not funny. I mean, uh, look back now um, – there was a trial going. If I had known a, just a little bit about medicine back then, you know, there was this trial going on with this new drug for leukemia. And uh, a year, six months later, it came out uh, to patients called Gleevec, oh, uh, which is now essentially a cure right. or uh, puts uh, myelogenous leukemia in remission. Mm -hmm. um, and if only we had known, you know, we'd been able to get them enrolled in a study and things like that. And uh, one of the impacts for me, uh, I was not yet in medicine then because I had a prior career in the Air Force for mm -hmm. a while. And I remember uh, thinking to myself, that was a, a big event for me to get sure. into medicine. Yes. Of, of, uh, I want to be able to help cancer patients right. and I, I become a researcher, a clinical trial um, investigator, so that there is therapies to be able to offer to patients that they may not even know out there. And a right. lot of our patients don't have an advocate for them. That's exactly right. And, mm -hmm. and we need to advocate for them or help educate their family to help uh, advocate for them. And that's what you do so well. And, and, and then amongst physicians, we need to advocate for ourselves. Oh, absolutely. And yes. support each other. Right. So, so how did you wind up then coming from uh, Rush Presbyterian, uh, obviously big city life? I mean, you go from the, the, the cold tundra, Iditarod Trail to city life to now, how do you wind up in the Southeast and, and Chattanooga? Well, weather had a lot to do with it. Okay. Because I was not very fond of cold weather. Doing that stint in Alaska was fantastic. I loved it. Um, then Chicago, sometimes. Yeah, it was cold. colder in Chicago than it was in Alaska because yeah. Alaska is more of a dry cold yeah. and Chicago is a very wet cold. In fact, do you know why they call it the Windy City? It's not because of the wind. It's because of the politicians. They were long-winded and filled. Uh, that's the reason I why I got that. Yes, is that yeah. great? So uh, the Windy City. That's so great. I was there, and that's where I grew up, and that's where I spent a lot of my time. And then I fell in love with Kelly Davis, who is the love of my life. Mm -hmm. And he is originally from Jackson, Tennessee. So the plan was connection. we spent a lot of time there. The plan was to go somewhere south, closer yeah. to his parents. And so Kelly was in he was a project manager for a big company, Walsh okay. Construction, and okay. there is a very large convention center there. And he was working on that convention center. It in, was McCormick Place. Uh, yeah. Yes, it was yeah. McCormick Place Convention Center. And he was doing the concrete part of a couple of million square foot uh -huh. building. Good so business he was, to be in concrete. That, I just, uh, on a side, uh, we concreted our driveway. And I should have called Kelly. You know how hard it is to find a good concrete 
contractor. I can't imagine. It's very difficult. <laughs> and and I and it's I said to my wife and kids, I said, listen, you know what you need to get into if you want to have a, a, a vocational trade, you'll never go broke. Okay. And if you learn a, a skill like lumber uh, framing or lumber, Absolutely. I said, but listen, concrete, everyone needs a good concrete contractor. Get into concrete. I said, oh, this is going to be my third career out of medicine, <laughs> concrete. So he, we left Chicago, and then he took on three small projects in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. Joshua, our oldest, Jacob and John Peter, uh, our twins, uh-huh. who were nearly a year old when we moved to Chattanooga, so 21 years ago. And uh, that's what he did at that time. So he was home with the boys full time. Okay. And we earmarked Chattanooga because I found the perfect job here. And so that's why we doing, al- this doing your allergy. And then mm-hmm. and then going through that shortly after we got here. So we moved here in 1997. And then in 2001, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Right. So that's um, part of the origin, which is an important exactly. piece of the puzzle. That's right. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you, you know, we, we have connections in many ways, seems similar paths. Oh, and yes. we have these, uh, um, I call them things that make you... Uh, See uh, better, S E. Absolutely. Uh, significant emotional events, and so uh. you you have an opportunity to see better. Uh, obviously, devastating at first, but you're diagnosed with breast cancer, um, and how has that Im- impacted you? And and then let's talk a little bit about. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit how you came up with the name Covenant mm-hmm. Allergy. And then talk about faith and medicine and, and the role this all plays uh, with your allergy group and then with your diagnosis and what mm-hmm. uh, going forward and with your patients. Sure. Okay. So with breast cancer, honestly, it wasn't a devastating diagnosis, and I'll tell you why. My mama was living with us, and she had severe diabetes, like I mentioned, very, very brittle, and had multiple strokes. So she really wasn't able to live by herself. So she was actually in the Rehab Institute of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I drew, I flew to Chicago, picked her up from the Rehab Institute of Chicago, and brought her back to Chattanooga. Because my husband said, nobody can take care of your mama as good as I can. Right. No one can advocate for your own family member other than another family member. Yes, that's right. true too. But right. my husband is an incredible caregiver. So she moved in with us. And that was incredibly difficult. To take care of somebody, I had small. I had three small children. The right. twins, like I said, weren't even a year old. So uh, when we moved here, so they were about two. No, they were about four at that time. And so Ma was with us, and we were definitely muddling along. But she required card. She required catheterizations because mm-hmm. her bladder wasn't functioning. So every six hours, I am doing a cath on her, plus trying to take care of her. Mm-hmm. She could. She couldn't ambulate from one point to another, so we are helping her ambulate. We had someone on the night shift, but we did the day shift, my husband, and then when I came home in the evening, I took the boys, our boys, our sons, and my mom. So that's what we did, and it was just incredibly exhausting. And I remember thinking at one point, Lord, I know you are preparing me for something pretty big. So then when I found the tumor in my breast, and yes, you need to do self-breast exams because the women who I've talked to who have survived breast cancers, nearly all of them have found their own tumors. So it's important to continue doing that. So I found the tumor and got it addressed, and immediately it was told to me that um, we'd be able to do a lumpectomy, it would be finished, and I wouldn't have to go through chemo. But when the... Um, the pathologist evaluated the slides, came back and said, oops, we didn't get clear margins, and it looks like that one lymph node we thought was completely normal. Turns out you had one lymph node that was positive, Mm -hmm. so that meant chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. So as a result of that, so I will tell you that I was relieved in some ways that it was breast cancer and it was affecting me because I asked God, please don't let anything happen to one of my sons because that would have been the most devastating thing. And I have talked to people over the years who have lost children, and mm. I, the thought of that is just, I can't even imagine. I don't even want to, but for me, it's un, unfa- unfathomable to have to think about that kind of grief and pain. So when I found the tumor, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. We're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. So, again, that was the way I looked at it, mm-hmm. and we did. We got through it. That's and how you look at is, everything, though. Like when, when people meet you, they it's going to be fine. We're going to get through this. We are. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and the great thing I will tell you too, Mike, is that, so with all this COVID stuff, my son got a degree in Chinese and in East Asian studies. 
So he is in China and has been in China since October 17th. So that was before COVID started in China. So he was there in the midst of it. And what was great is when I talked to him, I said, baby, do you feel like you need to come home? Do you want to come home? And he said, I really don't. And he said, the other thing, mama, if I get COVID-19, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to me? I'm a very healthy 22-year-old man. The worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to be in the hospital, but I'm strong, I'm healthy, I can handle this. I was like, okay, that's great. Well, then we can do this. So he stayed, and of course, now things are much calmer in China, and he got through it, and he's got a tale to tell as well. But the great news is that he knew, he thought about, okay, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? And then when he processed it, he decided, you know what, I'm good. I'm going to stay here. Now, he did go to the countryside for a few weeks to stay out Mm -hmm. of the city, which was a wise decision, and now he's back in his apartment. He wasn't in the Wuhan province He he was was not in no, he was in a province next to the, uh, it's Hubei, or Hubei okay. is the province, and uh, Wuhan. So he wasn't well, near Wuhan. Wasn't he was a few there. hours away. Yeah. So then uh, tell me a little bit about Covenant. Oh, allergy, yes. So, and then, um, so uh, I'm how, with how this Allergy went. Asthma Immunology, yeah. which yeah. is um, fantastic, state-of-the-art practice. And um, again, going through breast cancer, I felt like the Lord was calling me to pray with my patients and to pray before I lectured and um, to, even though I'm a physician, I'm a praying physician, I'm a godly woman, and this is what he's called me to do. So I felt like that was pretty black and white to me. And so I felt like I needed to do that. And the Lord then closed the door at AIA, which is now tagged the Allergy Asthma Group, and opened up Covenant which is a faith-based practice right. where we offer prayer to everybody. Of course. And people who don't necessarily want to have prayer, that's fine because I don't do the asking. The staff asks them just like they're asking a litany right. of questions so that a person doesn't feel put off by of it. And uh, so it's not obtrusive at all. And uh, if a person doesn't want prayer, it's not even brought up in the exam room. But if they do, I mean, they rejoice. They love it. In fact, people have said that, posted things. Oh, my gosh, they prayed with you. I loved it. It was wonderful. And so... Uh, we decided how to, what do we name this place? Because I didn't want it to be Dr. Rochelle. I didn't want my name to be up there. I right. just didn't want to get uh, big in my britches. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was maintaining that. is a very humbling experience. It can it is, be. Uh, God tends to knock you down when you get a little too, uh, and make, keeps you humble. Exactly. Uh, just when you think like you know everything. Yeah, that's right. Um, That'll never happen. Yeah. But um, also, I didn't want to tempt myself. I didn't want to put myself in that position. So Kelly, my husband, and I, we prayed about it, and he looked up scripture. I looked up scripture, and we both decided on covenant. Yeah. Not even thinking about covenant transport, covenant Presbyterian Church, because there's a lot of covenants around yeah. here. Um, but that's how we we arrived at the name Covenant. And that's then a great name. And then your tagline on there is uh, promise of relief. Promise of relief. Yeah, that's so exactly it's, right. It's great. Yes. Um, and, and what's interesting, Mike, too, is that we just don't treat uh, the disease. We treat dis-ease. So if a person is uncomfortable or if there is something else, and I will tell you, we, I have seen several people who think they have asthma. And it turns out it's not asthma at all. Right. It's an emotional issue that has occurred in their life. And when you get to the root of that issue, whatever it is, you discover it's not asthma at all. It's something else. And the manifestation of it is cough, wee, shortness right. of breath. And then you refer them to therapists. Right. Like and my, uh, they uh, get better. Uh, uh, my wife always tells me, look, you have to have a broader mind because sometimes, like you said, things manifest themselves in other ways. Absolutely. And you may be looking for, you know, COPD and, and the issues with their smoking, but it may be uh, a total different issue at home or work exactly. or stress or something else that you're not even aware of that's causing some of the symptoms symptoms that are, are impacting the patients exactly. and then therapy helps and, and you reveal things and they get better. So it's always, like I said, one uh, medicine is a very humbling experience. It is. And then, uh, and then I had an office, um, some office, uh, some of our staff, we were talking about as we expand and we hire people, someone said to me, well, you know, we need another, uh, we need another one of you, you know? And I said, you know, that's exactly what I don't want. Right. Uh, because if you bring on everyone who's just like you, you have the same uh, flaws, the same strengths, but the same weaknesses, the same little idiots. So I want different yes. people that ha- can see things a little differently. We can collaborate and talk and 
And because one, the way I look at it may be different than the way you look at it, but together you might be able to come up with a, a, a better teamed approach that solves the problem. Exactly. Um, well, Billy Graham's wife, mm-hmm. she was talking about something. And one of the things she said is, if both of us are exactly the same, one of us isn't needed. Yeah. And I thought, well, that is great because she liked to have some spice in her life. So that made perfect sense to me, Mike. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. And it's good to have that variety because but, one shoe doesn't fit all. Uh, is another thing, a very wise person told me that. <laughs> you mentioned that to me once. once. Oh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, and, and I've used that with my kids uh, when they go through some, you know, teenage girls are... Uh, as a dad, I find it sometimes hard to connect at this point right now because it's all about mom and dad. Um, you don't understand. Yes. I said, well, I've been through a lot. I, I probably can help. I can, <laughs> let me give you some words of wisdom. No, you don't need it. You don't know. You don't know. We're going to talk to mom. Okay. You know. Uh, it's great to have that <laughs> at home, to have I, a mama I, who, you know, has that kind of background and she's able to talk to the, your daughters. I say, hey, I'm available. Yes. I say, what's going on? Nothing. I'm going to talk. Okay. <laughs> I love that. I'm sitting right here. If you need to talk to me, I'm right exactly. here. So, well, oh, then, yeah, it's going to be completely different for me as well because I grew up with, there were seven sisters and one brother. And so then I have three sons so and no daughters yeah. at all. Which in some ways was a blessing because I had breast cancer, although I'm not BRCA positive. I don't carry that genetic marker, at least as far as we know. Um, but to have boys, it's completely different than yeah. having daughters like yeah. you, Mike. So Even my dog is, uh, you know, a female dog. I always joke when I come home, someone says, man, I need a little more testosterone in the exactly. house. I have to get a male dog. And then my wife says, we're not getting another dog. We're, we're, our hands are full. I said, boy, I got, I said, all my friends are out of town. I can't even socialize with my friends right now. So I have no testosterone in the house at all. And at so, the office, it's all women. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, well, so now you're, let's talk, uh, you have the uh, covenant allergy, um, helping people feel better, holistic approach, faith-based um, medicine, um, Christian practice, and you are doing really well. We've talked and we're, we're talking about expanding and you have opportunities. And of course, a global worldwide pandemic hits our area. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we prepare, we're preparing for this. We're, we're changing our practice patterns for physicians besides just us facing the challenges of how to just deliver care in a setting that's restricted, Mm -hmm. preparing for an environment where our, we may be at risk. Our staff is at risk. Everyone's being impacted on just the ability to deliver the care. We still have to get in front of patients and offer our services that are, are patients that are already sick or who are well and we're trying to maintain their wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're fighting those daily struggles. And for the most part, I think everyone has adapted and um, done what's necessary to still be able to deliver top-notch care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then on, a, I want to say it was a Sunday night. I think it was Easter Saturday. Sunday. Yes, yeah, Easter Sunday. Um, I remember tracking, uh, I said, it's so funny because... My grandmother used to say to me, oh, she was clairvoyant when I was a little kid. <clears throat> she would tell you that she, she was tell, clairvoyant? She would tell me, uh, you know, we, we're not going to do this. Uh, and I said, well, why? She was like, I'm clairvoyant. Something's not right about this. And she said, you, you got to learn to pay attention to your feelings yes. and your senses because everyone in our family has this. It's just whether you recognize it or not. Right. Yes. So I've always thought, you know, you think back of those times you spend with your grandma and granddad. And I said, I said, boy, it's hard to recognize feelings or some sort of communication. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, Higher being. Uh, And so I remember uh, that Easter Sunday, I said to my wife and kids, I said, you know, I'm going to clean the garage out. Uh, this storm is coming. They say it's supposed to be bad. Now, I never clean the garage out. <clears throat> and I said, I just got a bad f- a feeling. I said, I'm going to put both cars in. And I remember my wife said, why don't you just move the the basketball stand, take it down and put it in there, and you know, we'll just leave the cars out. I said, ah, something doesn't feel right. Uh, and I'm just going to, and the neighbors came by, what are you doing? I said, ah, oh, I'm going to just clean out the garage. I'm going to put the cars in. The storm's supposed to be pretty bad. And 
uh, I think there's just there's something I I, I felt clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. And so sure enough, I was tracking it. And um, I give credit to the weather people for uh, channel the news channels. They were pretty much on top of it, and we were tracking. It. And uh, my daughter came down from her upstairs room. And I said, "We're just staying here. We're in a huddle here in the master bedroom." But it looks like this is very bad. And specifically, it was, you know, I remember them saying there's a gray marker on the radar and this, this is a debris field. There is a funnel cloud. A tornado has touched down right here in East Brainerd. I mean, they were spot on at hmm. 1130 or whatever it was. Wow. And thing, I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh. And I, they tracked it and it was moving really fast, mm-hmm. 80 miles per hour. And but it was almost midnight, and you have no. Thank God it was midnight. Yes. And on a Sunday, on a Easter Sunday, and no one probably was around in these buildings and mm-hmm. at homes, unfortunately. So then, uh, come Monday morning, we realized the devastation and destruction. So how? When did you get first notified? How impacted your practice was in, in your building? How, how did that happen? Well, one of the things that happens is, of course, we have a security system, and the security system was alerted because there was a motion detector that got set off, off, that went off, and um, called Kelly, and I don't know what time it was, maybe 5.30, and Kelly picked up the phone, and I I remember him saying, no, don't send anybody out, Um, I'm going to get up anyways. So that's what happened. He got up, he went to the office, and it was still pretty dark out, and he called me and said, babe, looks like our office got hit. But he couldn't tell at that point how bad it was. So that's when we found out. And one of the first things, so I thought, oh, my gosh. So I got up, and I was kicking myself because the night before I thought, man, I just don't want to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) But that is not what I had in mind, Mike. But a couple of things. One is that I love that uh, your grandma was clairvoyant, Mm. um, which is what I would call the Holy Spirit, prompting you to put both cars in the garage. uh, Yes, very spiritual Catholic. Um, uh, And, you know. She called it clairvoyance. I think she was an angel. Personally. Yes. Yeah. Could very um, well be. And then uh, it's funny um, how these things work. And, and she's always just, you know, you got to recognize your feelings. That's and right. You got to recognize when people are speaking to you yes. inside of you. You got to right. recognize this. Yes. Yes. I love that. So then I got there and then we saw, because by the time I got there, it was a little after seven and the, the sun was up. And so we could see that there was a big hole in the roof and that we could see the other buildings around us that were pretty bad. Yeah. And by the time I got there, too, our neighbors, the Childresses, they were there and Ricky Johnson was there. So they were all looking inside the offices and the office at the opposite end, Dr. Amanda's office, who's a pulmonologist, yeah. one of your colleagues, he his office got hit harder than ours did unfortunately we got so much water damage because of the huge hole in the roof that um that is a reason why we're not going to be able to be in the office for at least a year so how are you notifying your patients and uh um, what are the plans in place to continue in addition to the covid19 struggles i can't imagine the struggles that you're having now to just now deal with this and and i you know, to all our colleagues and everyone, it's so important for us to stick together, right? Uh, to help where we can, and and to offer you know whatever you need. And so, more importantly, is what for your patients? How are you going to deliver the care to the patients? Well, it's been it's been very challenging. <clears throat> and what can we do for? It, this is your ask. To, what do you need from the community of physicians to help you? I need for the community of physicians to uh, let their patients know, who are mutual patients of ours, that we haven't closed our doors. In fact, today I found out that one of our patients went to another allergy practice because they were under the impression that we had closed. But we hadn't closed. But unfortunately, one of the things that happened is where we have our servers attached with our phones and all of our electronic health records, which are on the cloud as well because we've got three backups. Good. We still can't access all that information. We can access it in a little bit right. now, but this is a week out. But you also have two other offices. So that's you, right. You and so can, that's what we're telling folks yep. is they can go to their, our Kimball office or our Cleveland office. And then we set up shop at Dr. Kapperman's office yep. where we're giving biologics and allergy shots Good. until we find a place to lease. Right. And as soon as we find a place to lease, we'll lease it for about a year because they anticipate it's going to take about a year before our office is. That particular building is up and running. But we will be up and running hopefully in the next five days. Yeah. 
Yes. And so, listen, uh, we, uh, we strive in whatever adversity to deliver good care. We, we need to let all our patients know uh, that you're there yes. and open for business. And that uh, this is just another little, uh, I think you said to me, uh, God has a plan. This is just he a, does. Uh, 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 not a bump in the road, but this is a, a something else that is just for you to do and a bigger plan, a bigger design and plan. Well, and here's the other thing, Mike, that I want to share with you. And that is this could not have happened at a better time. Right. My two sons are home, which ordinarily wouldn't have been. And Dr. Kapperman, White, McGarvey, their office would have been filled with patients. And right now, they're only seeing emergency eye issues, so we're able to use his office. Right. So when could that have ever happened? So Never! The, the COVID-19 pandemic is a blessing as well. As, yes, this, it's been a blessing right. in disguise. That's right. Now, transitioning into COVID-19, and as an immunologist, you know, we get a lot of questions about testing, testing, testing. Let's talk briefly um, before we wrap up about where do we go? What do you see in terms of the immunology component of COVID-19 and specifically the antibody testing and, and the importance of that? And, and what's, the, what's its role going forward as we try to return to this new normal, right. we're calling it? And it will be a new normal. Well, a couple of things. The first thing that I want people to know about COVID is that they shouldn't panic. They should have the same attitude that my son had. should be no hysteria. Right. right. And they should have the same attitude as my son had, which is, okay, if the worst thing that's going to happen to me, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be in the hospital, but I'm going to get through it. So people need to focus on that. The other thing people need to focus on, because what I'm finding is that people are focusing on the number of people that are dying from COVID-19, yeah. as opposed to Right now, 97% of people have a mild case. Right. Three to 4% have a serious or critical case. Yeah. So that's one of the things that they need to yeah. look at. But the unfortunately, the media is sensationalizing the devastation. So of I've it. stopped really doing any of the you know larger media. I just talk about, uh, and particularly in our social media, is the facts. That's right. Uh, real data from medical journals. That's important. Um, of course, this is a novel coronavirus. It's so new. There's not a lot of uh, uh, double randomized control studies. It's all anecdotal. That's right. Expert opinion or consensus opinion. And we put that out there and we specifically put out there for Hamilton County, um, the data so that you have the facts. Like you That's said, right. there's very little, um, uh, uh, death in the community. Although of course there's some and it's devastating. I get that nowhere near to what New York City is going through. And the other thing, Mike, that people need to know, too, is when they had the Spanish flu in the early 1900s, so 19, 1918 to 1919, right. that's when we had the Spanish flu. Right. In 25 weeks, 25 million people right. died. So compare that to what's going on now, it's hugely different. Right. So people definitely need to de-escalate their right. concerns there. And and a new normal to me means, uh, you know, you have to practice hand washing, social distancing. Even when we go out there, it's okay not to shake a person's hand for the next year. Absolutely. You know? It is okay. Um, it's hard for me. I'm a hugger, so it's really yeah, hard for me to keep for my hands. Too. I'm yes. Italian. We hug. Yes. Um, Love it. So in the antibody testing, so on the um, IgM, IgG, what, what would be the best type of test that you could envision that's simple for us to test for? Whether you the very exposed? best kind of testing, yeah. which isn't available yet, but the very best kind would be just a swab that's easy to obtain and to look at IgM mm -hmm. because that would identify a current infection as right. opposed to IgG, which would identify a past infection. So that would be ideal. On the other hand, the things that we, the other thing that to me in immunology again that's so fascinating is that if someone has an antibody problem, what we do is we give them other people's antibodies. Right. And there for every bag of infusion that they get, there's about 10,000 to 50,000 donors. So that's a lot of different antibodies. So one of the things that they have done, the researchers, they have taken plasma, and plasma is where your antibodies mm -hmm. are, they've taken plasma from people who have already recovered right. from COVID-19. They took out their plasma, which has antibodies against, against. COVID-19, yep. and they have injected them in people who are currently, who have severe COVID-19 infection, 
and they're getting better. getting better. So that to me is incredibly exciting. Right. And we didn't think that that was going to be effective because it takes 10,000 donors for a person who has common variable immune deficiency to be maintained. And this is just they're taking it from one donor. One donor. And making a bag, concentrated bag of that one donor's antibodies against COVID-19 and giving it to one other patient. That's right. And I don't know if they're doing a whole bag. Right, I don't right. know how much they're actually infusing. Right. I don't know if that data is out there. The it's other amazing. thing that's important to know. Science is amazing. Oh, it is. The other thing that's important to note is that one of the concerns was people with asthma are at higher risk of getting COVID-19. And the truth is they are not right. at higher risk. It's funny like two studies yeah. just looked at that recently. I just read them one, Yes, exactly. And one, um, I think that there was 5% of yeah. all of the folks that had COVID-19 in this particular study showed that they happened to have right. asthma, but it was not a risk factor. The uh, Yeah, that just came out and it also talked about COPD uh, patients, but specifically with asthma, right. the, there was not an increased risk. There is not risk. an increased risk. That's now, right. Now, uh, for everyone out there, there is, you know, if you're diabetic, um, uh, your BMI is greater than 25 to 30. There That's is, right. There is a higher um, risk in mm -hmm. those particular and patients. And then, obviously, if you're just greater than 80, greater than 65. So there are some criteria. That, and as we learn more, we put that data out there. But I was very encouraged knowing that um, for some of my COPD patients, mm -hmm. that it does not seem to be as dramatic of mm -hmm. a risk as we thought it would be. Mm -hmm. That's so, right. But we still have to practice and, and be safe. Um, of course. And stop smoking, uh, if you can, for many of my patients. Well, and the um, other thing that you mentioned, obesity. Yeah. And that's a whole other issue, whole another conversation. Body. But those are things that people need to be looking at now, especially as they're spending more time at home. And They've got some time to modify their diets. And the uh, inequities and inequalities of delivery of health care to um, underserved communities, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Which has been greatly impacted by this. Absolutely. Yes, you're right. So... Uh, Super excited to have you here. Of course, we're, we're you're rebounding. You're gonna you're open for business. Yes, um, I think it's important for people to know uh, just a little personal side of you. Of course, they know a lot of your background, and I always like to ask a few questions about you know um, things that you enjoy doing outside of medicine. So, particularly, what's the favorite thing that you and your husband like to do together? Um, <laughs> Well, Social. one of the things that we love to do together is be outside. So hiking is one of those things. Great social we love, distancing activity to do. Just yes, the two absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we like to travel. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I hope we got Which all the travel in uh, the last few years because we're not going anywhere this year. You're we? right. We're supposed to be on vacation this week, as a matter of fact. Oh. We're supposed to go to the Dominican Republic and just kind of unwind in the sun. But obviously that didn't happen this week. But that's okay. <laughs> Next year, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the other thing is that we share the love of the Lord. So we talk about that as well. And then we really try and celebrate our sons. So we try and yeah. spend time. And Kelly is a fantastic now, so cook. So um, one of the things that I've tried to do is learn learn more about cooking with him. So I've been taking over some of those responsibilities as well. We'll, we'll have to uh, come over and eat one day. My, Absolutely. My daughter's learning how to cook uh, because, you know, at home, school's closed. They're doing all right. the, the online education. It's not homeschooling, but it feels like it. It sure does. Um, and every <laughs> night at like 10 p.m., she's decided to... Uh, cook desserts and things she's getting oh, very good excellent. at it so healthy desserts no not at all. <laughs> not at all. getting much better she made the best chocolate chip cookies i've ever had in in my lifetime last night and i had way too many of them particularly <laughs> since i'm trying to lose weight um what is your favorite book Ooh. besides the bible yeah that's a tough one for me I've got several that I really love. I will tell you, it'd be or easier awesome. for me to tell you what my favorite movie is. Favorite I've got, movie? Yeah, I've got five. Uh, the Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's a grip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Sound of Music. Appropriate, too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a tornado. Um, the Sound of Music uh -huh. is one of my very favorites. Yes, um, so here's cool. one that's a little bit off for a lot of people. The Grand Budapest Hotel. I've not seen it. That was Bill Murray, right? It was in there? He was in there. Yeah. yeah. Jude Law is in there, mm -hmm. I believe. Uh, it is a great it's a great movie. Yeah, all those are great. Yeah, um, yeah so, so you probably watched them again since you uh, since you've been sheltering in place. Absolutely, too. and I will tell you some of the fun ones. Despicable Me two, one and uh -huh. two and three, but I really like one and two. I love and it. I will tell you that I was in the airport with my sister, and uh, she looked over and said, "There's Steve Carell," and I said. 
that doesn't look like Steve Carell. And she goes, he's in disguise. So I said, I'm going to talk to him. So I walk in there, and there is a fellow, and he's got a beard down to his knees, practically, and then another guy that's in a windbreaker. And I said to her, is it the guy with the beard? She said, no, it's the other man. So I went in there, and I said, hey, are you Steve Carell? And he smiled sheepishly and said, yes, I am. And I said, despicable me too? Awesome! Really? <laughs> he just broke out in this huge smile, because I didn't recognize him from anybody. She nailed that's it. That's amazing. Yes, yeah. So that is also one of my faves. Well, and you got yeah. to meet Steve Carell. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. So uh, wrapping up the uh, the let your legacy. We all, I always try to. Oh, say, that's right. What is you know we talk about? Um, I say think differently from Steve Jobs to the mountaintop with uh, Martin Luther King. Um, what what is your? Would you envision your legacy to be? You know, 25, I know 25 years. From yeah, now. so I know it. So one of the things that God put on my heart was to screen children for asthma in the school system. So we started something called SASE, okay, which is school-based asthma screening initiative. And so we've done it intermittently over the years. And the legacy would be to be able to have funding that, or at least legislation, but mm-hmm. preferably funding that is sustaining, self-sustaining, to have every child screened on a regular basis in all the schools, private and public, across the nation. Because one of the things that we know is kids are more likely to miss school from asthma than any other chronic disease. In fact, they're three times more likely to miss school because of asthma than any other chronic disease. And if we can attenuate disease, if we can change it, if we can identify allergies at an early age, then there's a possibility we can attenuate the development of asthma, which is huge because it is a big issue with insurance payers as well as families, lost work, um, issues at school, less productivity, Concentration and, and you talk issues. about uh, not just absenteeism, but I think you call it presentism. Presenteeism. Presenteeism. Where that's right. You're not well, but you're present at work, and you sh- you sh- you need to be able to be at work and be well. That's right. Yes, and the, there's great literature. In fact, I pulled out an article that I had put to be read later. I just pulled it out recently um, about that very thing. Because it's costing and people don't know. The corporations, the corporate America doesn't realize how much money they're losing because their employees are not functioning at optimal levels. Well, uh, not only are you a sassy lady, (laughs) uh, but uh, your legacy will be sassy as well. School-based allergy screening initiative. I love that. I think that's fantastic. We're so privileged and honored. I know you're unbelievably uh, busy and overwhelmed and multiple things going on uh, with everything that's happened. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for taking time out. And it's just uh, for everyone out there, it's really important. Um, The Covenant Allergy is open for business. Uh, uh, Can still schedule appointments, call their number, go to their website. If you need anything, we certainly can set up referrals and communicate. All our providers out there, uh, communicate to your patients uh, that they're open for business, many offices. And in the next five days, we'll have a new temporary permanent location while they rebuild. That's right. Um, Again, Dr. Rochelle, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. It's great.